the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have our panel of uh, our regular, uh, our roundtable regulars, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Hello, Paul. Are you there? Let's see what's happened here. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Are you there? Well, let's try this once again. Dan. There we go. Paul, yeah. Are you there? Okay. Yeah. Are you here? Hello. Well, it looks, here. Like it looks like everybody's with us. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Tom. And joining us uh, at the roundtable this week, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Hi, Bobby. Hi, guys. <laughs> okay, we are all here and accounted for, and uh, we usually start with a few quotes, the first one being the one where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes, democracy is the recurrent suspicion that more than half of the people are what? How would you finish this quote? Mm, uh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Educated? Undecided. 
Well, those are all excellent answers, but this is, this is fun. Democracy is the recurrent suspicion that more than half of the people are right more than half of the time. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's great. That's that's great. That's great. I didn't think of it. Well, that's pretty progressive thinking, I think. (laughs) Yes, I like that. Because that, and that justifies why we remain a country. That's the only way that we can remain a country. Is that a Lincoln quote? No, you'll be surprised when you hear who it was. It was um, American writer uh, E.B. White. Author of oh, 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 Charlotte's okay. Web and Stuart Little, <laughs> and longtime yeah, contributor yeah. to the New Yorker. Okay, well. Oh well, you know, just because you write children's books does not mean you aren't a thinker. That's true. <laughs> true. Oh, I, I know. When my kids were growing up, they had me thinking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do they still? Oh yeah. Well, you know, kids are the, the most profound thinkers they are because all of their brain cells work together. Well, well they're also yeah, not afraid to ask questions at age five. Yeah, they're not they're afraid they're to ask questions. Yes, that's true. <laughs> in a, in addition to that, athlete gymnasts, girl gymnasts. When they fly in the air and they're rotating and tumbling and all, they know where they are all the time because all the muscles and cells are working together, the nerve cells. But if you go out and try that right now, you'd probably end up hurting your back or worse. (laughs) You're saying we're not working together. (laughs) Well, the brain cells in in the body, they work all together. Yeah, well, I, I held a seminar a couple of weeks ago about how our economy has to work together. It's sort of like an organism. Yes. Well, kids, kids are fortunate because they live in that that brief time in our lives where we think we know everything. Yes. Well, if they don't know, they will ask the question. <laughs> That's yes. true. That's true. Well, here's a quote that uh, I think maybe got everyone's attention this week. Uh, you know what every one of these parents wanted, what they asked us for, what every parent separately expressed in their own way to Camilla and me, that they want their children's dreams to live on, that they want their children's dreams to continue to accomplish something after they are gone. They want to make their loss of life matter. Well, it must have been Prince Charles. No. Well, I'll go say Biden. It's at, at, in Texas. Last person you'd think of, actor Matthew McConaughey. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's wow. right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what did. a profound thought that was. He delivered very impassioned and at times emotional remarks at the White House press briefing yesterday telling the story of those who died in the elementary school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and urging more action on gun control. McConaughey, a Uvalde native, said he and his wife Camilla spent most of the past week with the families of those who were killed in his hometown. He showed pictures of their artwork and brought to the briefing room 
the green Converse shoes that one girl wore every day that were used to identify her body after the shooting. She had drawn a heart on one of those shoes. Um, <clears throat> is there any reason to believe that there will be any significant action or just the same scripted rhetoric? We're turning a corner, guys. You think so? Yes. The American know, people, sure. you know, the American people are ready for it. You know, the, the people in Washington, they're on their own track. But the American people, can't, they want action. <clears throat> and they want action against guns and criminals and institutions that support them. And they're going to get it. Or they're going to destroy the country. Well, I think we just ought to rescind the Second Amendment. Yeah, we'll get some some kind of modest proposals, but I'm skeptical it's going to be anything very dramatic. You know, maybe a modification of, you know, maybe the age limit, maybe, or maybe some registration changes. But any change... I I don't see a dramatic change. But any change is a good change. But we're looking for the control of guns. And the attitudes, and, and, and we we get these excuses that people are mentally ill. Well, they're not. All of a sudden, mental illness. We are. We all have it in this country, and other countries don't seem to deal with that. Why is it that only in our country we racialize and justify uh, the act of, uh, of violent killers as being, um, you know. Uh, Covenantly insane. Anyway, are there any other countries that have a Second Amendment? Uh, <clears throat> no. The same way. No. That's true. There are no other countries that have it. I don't understand why it still serves. I don't think it does. I but think we need to consider doing away with it. It was a good thing mm-hmm. in the beginning because we had five nations in this country wanting to replace the 13 colonies. They had to find a way to survive, and they did. It did but we don't need it anymore. It, it didn't mean what it did until really, well, 20 years ago with the Heller and the uh, McDonald cases. It really didn't mean it the right to individually own arms. But the Supreme Court changed that about 20 or so years ago. But before that time, it just meant the states had a right to have a militia for the most part uh, in the earlier rulings. But it, that all changed with a couple of relatively recent court rulings. Well, I just don't understand why we still have it if we don't need it. The 18th Amendment, which really almost destroyed our country, was repealed. Why don't we repeal the second? I know it's a hard job, but it seems hard to take automatic weapons out of the hands of people also. Yeah. Yes, but you've you got to admit that in the beginning, <clears throat> it was okay. We, people on the prairie, they had no way of immediately organizing, but they had to protect themselves against wildlife and against all of the other forces of nature and against the insurgents, which were the five nations, including the American Indian. He was still a threat to... But Henry, we could still purchase guns without a Second Amendment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not so sure about the future, the way we're moving right now. I think that people want and, and and by the way, there's another not. Supreme Court case coming down the pike this month on that on the Second Amendment that might even enlarge it more. That could change even more about the regulations. I, we'll see what happens. I just see it, a, I just see it as an excuse to allow the slaughter of people 
and it happens every day in every house, and, and well, not every house, but every community, that somebody, some people, some group of people are being killed by guns that seem to be out of control. Yes, but that, that uh, is our philosophy of life. That's what we have to change. We have to change, uh, become more compassionate by the way the people were in the old days. You can say all these things you want about the negativity of slave owners and stuff like that in uh, 1789 and why it was grossly underestimated uh, about the intention of the Americans with respect to slavery. But there were people that were compassionate. They appeared much more compassionate than we do today. And I don't so think I, that's true. I read the other day I was doing some research and I came across the Democratic Party platform from 1884, 20 years after the Civil War. And as I read that platform, I started to laugh, saying to myself, nothing has changed. Nothing. You could uh, read it today. And other than the questions about tariffs and taxation and the war tax, which we had at that time, all of the elements of that platform are the same today. And the criticisms that the Democrats had of the Republicans is the same as it is today. Well, I don't think that you can use that as an argument. We have to use that as the American people themselves. Uh, the philosophy is the same for all of us. We believe in guns. We believe in uh, the uh, right to privilege because the Constitution gives some guarantees some of that, and we have it. Well, you, when but, you say privilege, Henry, I think you mean the, the uh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Yeah, we could we could name it that way, but uh, it's used in other you ways. You could define that pretty widely, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't mind that. See, I, that has no bearing on what I believe about life in the United States. Um, but we need to identify the real causes of the problem. It is that it is that we want to be always dominant. Some parts of the nation want to be dominant, and they are dominant. There's no doubt about it. They are physically armed, they are well-educated, they work well together, and so on and so forth. But there are many other people who can't do that. And when you go out and pick up guns, as with all of this authority, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, you give the other guy the same opportunity, and then you can become heroes. Or you can, what's happened yeah. the last couple of decades that has changed, though? I mean, in terms of these shootings, we haven't seen those in the past, but in the last, let's say, 20 years, roughly, all of a sudden, every every other week, there's another shooting at a school yes. or a church or a shopping mall or someplace. Um, and that, that has not been the case all the time. And, and as Bobby said, uh, it happens in every community. You know, it, it just doesn't happen to be typical American, who is a dominant one. It happens in the cultural groups that complain or that uh, will state that they've been walked on and tread upon by the major dominant people. Well, we well, have to break. We have to break here, but uh, but we'll come back and pick this up uh, on the other side of the break. Okay. If you're listening to us on ninety-two point one FM in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Stay tuned.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program with uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. And um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about whether or not uh, there's any reason to believe that there will be any significant action taken in the wake of the Uvalde uh, shooting down in in Texas, the school shooting there, active shooter event, and um, is is there anything you think might come out of this with regard to procedure, or um, are we satisfied that the existing <laughs> procedures are good but weren't followed? Well. Guys, you know, I, but, uh, I, 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 mean, you know I, I can see possibly the, you know, talking about the age change a little bit, maybe that'll happen, maybe some uh, some red flag laws, but as I said, I think it's going to be some changes at the margins. I'm, I'm, I remain skeptical about it. Well, the Republicans are divided on this issue. That means we'll have some change. I want to throw uh, in that I thought it was kind of interesting that there were a couple of prominent uh Republicans that that skipped the NRA meeting that was held in Texas uh, um, purely coincidentally they had some national gathering going on in Texas uh, in the week following the Uvalde shooting incident and um, a couple of pretty high-profile Republican uh, uh, legislators from Texas uh, just die and Mo Brooks, meeting. and Mo Brooks from Alabama. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's an election year in some Senate states. I don't know. Is Cornyn up this year? I don't know. To be honest, I don't either. But I think the fact that Texas is very close—it's a purple state, and it's very close to uh, rallying enough Democrats to get out and get out the blue vote. I think the Texas um, legislators and uh, elected officials need to be very careful on how they proceed because Texas has really been the site of a lot of this kind of, of mayhem. <laughs> no, that's that's true. And um, there was uh, one uh, Texas legislator, a Democrat, um, but we, I think we... I mentioned a quote from him last week. I don't know if it was one of the quotes of the week, but um, basically he said uh, in Texas it's easier to buy an AR-15 than it is to buy baby formula. Oh, he's right. I read that. I read that. Sure. Yes. But uh, that's that's conjecture, guys, you know. But um, I don't think... Of course, that doesn't say much about the availability of baby formula. Yeah. But but we're correcting that problem too. We have. Well, there was, I, I saw saw a post a similar kind of thing where the, the the regulations for selling tacos in Texas was much more complex than the regulations for selling an AR-15. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guys, since I've been on this show, there's one thing that I can be characterized by: asking for moderation between the extremes of Democrats and Republicans. 
so that they can move the agenda for the American people. And I think that that is what needs to be done. And I, when I talk to my friends about, uh, <clears throat> about the inability of Congress to work and why it doesn't work, uh, and we talk about the division between Democrats and Republicans, and there needs to be moderation, many of my friends say we're too late. We're on the slippery slope, and we can't bring this thing back. Well, let's, let's move on to some of these other things and see if maybe we can't uh, light the path a little. Um, I, there was one other quote that got my attention this week, it's, um, and it goes like this. It's a terrible thing for our state, and it's an attack on our election system. Janet Nessel. No, you would think, and and fair, fairly mm. close. Uh, Michigan Elections Director Jonathan Brader said last week at the Board of State Canvassers meeting when a deadlock along party lines kept five GOP gubernatorial candidates off the primary ballot. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Have the qualification procedures become too stringent, or are the candidates becoming too weak? I think the candidates are becoming lazy. If you look at the recent reports, yeah, the the courts have actually denied them um, any appeal uh, to their to their argument that the uh, state didn't do due diligence. But they did not do due diligence by relying on a bunch of paid canvassers to get their petition signatures, and the guys cheated. Guys, you you know you get no argument from me on this because the candidate is responsible for his own outcomes in the last analysis. Um, I think you're right. You know, when I talked to um, Mike McDonald, um, he was the one who, as, as he was in that first five that got knocked off the ballot, and as soon as that news broke, he dropped out of the race. And yeah, I talked to him on the show right after that. And I asked him basically the same question, and he said, no, we knew what the rules were. Yeah. And he said, you mm-hmm. know, we hired these people, and they jumped ship on a couple of people and, you know, did some finagling back and forth over how much they were going to get per signature. And he said, we got stung. And he was very matter-of-fact about it. He didn't think that he'd been picked on in any way whatsoever. He got some advice to use a firm, and it turned out to be bad advice, and he just accepted that. Tom, you know the yeah, thing I that... Wonder, really... I wonder if there's going to be any legal action against some of those those groups or those individuals who who did basically forge the signatures, either civil or criminal action against those individuals. That has gone on for a long time. That'll be interesting. So it's just, they just got caught this time. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And and then the flip side of that is uh, the candidate I had on this morning, Ralph Reband, um, who he had all volunteers, and you know their their procedure worked, and their petitions mm-hmm. were validated, and. And he's on the ballot. He also made it into the uh, the debate up on Mackinac, which he wasn't originally scheduled for. Huh. You know, he made it because some people had been um, pushed out. Craig and Perry. Yeah, yeah. you know the person yeah. who 
the person who collects the signature is a trustee commissioned by whatever, the law and uh, the bodies that govern this process. But uh, that person should I think be honorable and should be respectable and he should be legal. I think you're going to see candidates taking much more care about their signatures in the future, whether they hire a group or have volunteers do it. This is, you know, the the huge number this time is astonishing, not only for the the governor's race, but for a number of others as well. Uh, And I think 15,000, they had to have 15,000 signatures. Yeah, and of those 15,000, there had to be at least 100 from half of the congressional districts in the state. Uh, and, you know, this is, what, this is what validates Trump's argument that the elections in the United States are fraudulent. When you see that kind of stuff and it's still being unveiled, it validates his argument. And we need to but get... But it, it was caught. It yeah. was caught, which means that our system works. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. This, that's uh, a good point. I, this doesn't mean there's fake votes out there. It just means some folks got paid an awful lot of money for forging signatures. Guys, we're a nation of laws, not of a man. And when people argue against the rules out there and say, well, I'm going to take the Supreme Court to, to uh, court and sue them because I can't get on the ballot. But we're not a, we don't make the law as we go. we got to have standards and laws that are established for a long time of a long time period and have been practiced and this is what we have now you got everybody that wants to go out and say well if i don't like the law i'm just going to sue well that's if we're not a nation that we just go out and make our laws as we go they'd be they got to be framed in tradition practice well, one of my favorite books Henry, that i used to i used to assign in my class if they wanted extra credit was a fiction book that taught actually why we have government. And one of my favorite lines from that book was, we have a system of justice we can afford. The United States has a very good system of justice, I think, but it's because we're a wealthy nation and we can afford it. We can afford appeals courts. We can afford having a process that is onerous, that requires a lot of show-up and a lot of form and a lot of representation. But if we didn't have, then we would be in much worse shape. Yeah, it would be like most third world. That's a good point. I appreciate that point. I learned from that point. You're welcome. I'll tell you the name of the book. Okay. It's called Lucifer's Hammer, and it was written back in the 70s. Lucifer's what? Hammer. Lucifer's Hammer. I think oh, you. yeah, okay. Now, now that you may, I've heard the title before. No, yeah, now, now that you oh, yeah. Yeah. who was the author? Uh, there were two authors. I have a copy of it right here. I ordered a, a, a copy of it because I hadn't read it in a while, and I was curious to read it again. Um, Larry Niven, N-I-V-E-N, and Jerry Pornelli, P-O-U-R-N-E-L-L-E. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good book to, just to teach you why we need government. <laughs> well, we we need government even if we didn't have that book. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but the book illustrates it for people who don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. 
Well, at, at least one of the reasons in Flint for having government is because it's so darn entertaining. Well, and and maybe some area courts as a result. Councilman Eric Mays is asking a Genesee Circuit Court judge to undo what his colleagues did when they removed him as president eight weeks ago. Mays, who remains the city's first ward councilman, filed a lawsuit against the city council on Monday asking Judge Celeste Bell to issue an order preventing the enforcement of the resolution that removed him from the leadership post in April. Mays, the council's longest-serving member, was removed from the presidency in a 6-0 to zero vote just five months after he was elected to the position. The vote to remove him from the office came a month after Mays was censured uh, by other uh, council members who accused him of berating city uh, city clerk Inez Brown, city administrator Clyde Edwards, and other members of the council. Since his removal, the council has operated without an elected president, with Vice President Allie Herkenroder from Ward 7 serving as chairwoman during meetings of the full council. Um, you know, Eric's argument is that he didn't get due process in this procedure. Was there a lack of due process in Eric's removal, and is reinstatement to the council presidency the likely remedy? Good question. Well, my only question there was, what, wasn't there something in the charter about a two-week waiting period three before somebody was kicked out of an office? I, I, I don't recall the details myself. And I, I thought that was what Eric's argument was, that there's supposed to be a two-week waiting period between the initial charge and the dismissal. Now, now guys, you know we operate within state law. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the city council is a sanctioned governing body. And the city of Flint is self-governing um, area. So we make our own rules here, as long as they're within the rules of the state. And I think uh, Eric Mays may have, uh, that the, the judge may, by stepping in, uh, uh, prevent some of the uh, safety regards for uh, uh, independent cities operating within the law. And they have to let the, the law enforcement or the lawmaking bodies provide these Solution. Dude, I have a question. Um, does the city council have legal uh, counsel that advises them when they take this kind of action? They have the city attorney. Well, is the city attorney yeah. also the counsel to the city council? I don't know. I, I think so. You know, we've raised that question so. on this show a number of times about the fact that. Uh, the city's council represents the city, which puts it, uh, the office in a position of representing the mayor on occasion mm -hmm. and the council on occasion. Yes. So I wonder if there's any conflict there. Yeah, no, that's been yeah, that's right. in the past, because <clears throat> with, especially with the conflict between the mayor and the council, uh, how, does the, how does the attorney represent both? Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about David Layton being counsel. 
to the Board of Commissioners and also being a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. I think there's conflict there. But anyway, going back to that, maybe due process was not followed. Well, yeah. Now, my, my other thought was that even if it wasn't, if, even if, if Mays wins, will the council just go back and take two weeks and you know, follow the procedures and do the very same thing? I suspect they just might. It might take a little more time, but I wonder if they wouldn't simply do the very same thing. This has to be researched uh, by people disinterested in the politics of Flint. Uh, so, <clears throat> otherwise, uh, we could misstep <clears throat> justice here and due process. Isn't this, just a diverse, isn't this just a diversion from the real problems that Flint's facing right now? I, I read that they were using a lot of the ARPA money to plug a budget hole. Yes. But that's the city. That's a little... The financial outlook for the city in the future is pretty dire. You take a look particularly at the, the size of those uh, legacy costs, retirement funds, and the rest. Those are going to be a huge burden in the years to come, even when, once we get past the, uh, the ARPA funds. Yeah, they but that, the and that's, <coughs> that's also because of the decline in the tax base. Exactly. <laughs> well, if we don't create more taxpayers, then we're going to lose. Yeah. And you're supporting people from a city of 200,000 with a city of 80,000 now. Well, that's that, that's where the real crunch comes. For any city, just lost so much population. Flint has so much population on tax base, and so much of the um, industry that produces a product that other people who don't live in the city <clears throat> want abroad, and they exchange those products for gold back to Flint, and we we then disperse that money among our population. But we've lost that, and we are like. Uh, we're like taking the money that we have, which is uh, confined and limited. There's uh, so many millions of dollars a year uh, is generated in this town to be shared with this population. We've lost that, and we don't have the ability to 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 uh, go out and seek new businesses or to uh, increase uh, jobs here. We just take the money that we get and we exchange it from our hands to our neighbor's hands. It does not move around and create no jobs and no interest in bringing no businesses. Well, well I, I think there's a planning board or a planning commission. Does the planning board have anything to do with economic development? <laughs> yes, it does. Well, it seems to me that when they when they go forward with a big plan to make Flint into an academic community with a lot of, of public institutions that don't pay any property taxes, and then you've got hospitals that don't pay any property taxes, and you have yeah. churches that don't pay any property cool. taxes, cool. what you're doing is creating an environment that doesn't have a good tax base, and they don't That's employ a lot of people at high salaries. You have addressed my point. There's no new money coming in, no gold. All of our gold is going out, and we're diminishing our health and wealth uh, significantly. Which is excuse me. I think the voting to um, to remove the blight was a good thing because you don't have a livable community when you've got a lot of burned out houses and boarded up houses and homes that are dangerous. Yes. So there's some real problems to be discussed and 
for real leaders, but you got to put the real leaders in the council to generate a, a whole new renaissance of how we attack these problems. You just can't go out and put a Band-Aid on it and say it'll go away. I tried looking up the um, process for removal from office, and I, I, I wasn't able to put my, my finger on it. Um, I'm not sure what the charter says with regard to removal from office. Um, yeah, I, I just recall some some discussion about a two-week waiting period. I think it was two weeks, and then somehow they hadn't followed that. That's Louise Mesa's claim. And again, I don't I, I don't have the charter in front of me either, so I'm not sure. But I, I recall the claim that there was supposed to have been some kind of a, a period between the initial move to dismiss them and then the actual dismissal, I think. Um, and I think it was two it, weeks. Is the charter online? Can you find it online? Oh, yeah. I've got the charter yeah. right here yeah, in yeah. front of me, and I looked at the table of contents, and I could not find um, under the legislative powers section um, a section on removal from office. <laughs> now, I may have to look in some other areas in the in the document to find it, but I wasn't able to put my finger right on it. Removal from office creates a big political uh, flashpoint because people will be divided on both sides of that issue and tear the council up for 10 years. Well, and and in this particular case, um, although the vote was unanimous of those members present, um, it was... Um, removing Eric from an office they elected him to. Yes. Um, they they don't have, well, they didn't seem at all interested in trying to remove him from his seat on the council. They can't. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. No, they pick the people. Pick the people. That's true. Yeah. Um, that might be a different question. Yes, it is. Well, yeah, like I said, that, I wasn't. The, the I wasn't able that to. Goes on the council and the bid is just astonishing. I was, I was again watching it on, on the other night, and different endlessly points of you know points of information for hours, and they weren't accomplishing much when they were talking about the budget for for several hours at least. <laughs> I went on the internet and looked. Did they finally? Did they finally? Uh, Settle the budget. I believe they did. I, think you're right. I, I, I didn't. I they think were they still did going too. at midnight when I called the quits, but they, they, I think they finally did. As I thought, from what I heard correctly. Yeah, I think one of the TV stations reported that uh, they had passed the budget after a six-hour meeting. Right. Yes. Uh, I went. I went on the internet and looked at the population projection for Flint, uh, twenty forty. And it said that we would be down to 66,000 people. And we're not as, far away from now, that now. Uh, you know, we have the greatest opportunity in this state is to rebuild. We have all of this money that's left by in, in these institutions that, uh, uh, that General Motors created, like the hospitals and the cultural centers and stuff like that. Money invested. It's given to Do they pay taxes? We uh, we um, 
the problem is... Well, Henry, I got to do it to you. I got to cut um, you off because we have to take a short break oh, here. Okay, bye. <laughs> we'll be back with more right after Hello this. there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? basketball or soccer so get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two for more reasons to vaccinate talk to your child's doctor go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800 cdc info justin or justine immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby a message from the centers for disease control and prevention why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. I'm not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And I think uh, just as we were going to break, I think I, uh, I think I cut off Henry. I made it almost an hour without cutting off Henry. Okay, but I, I just wanted to um, <clears throat> say that um, we have the greatest opportunity in Flint, Michigan, and in Michigan itself, to become a mecca again with our waters, resources, and farm available land. Uh, with these demands rising exponentially. Uh, at this time, um, and I just don't always tear down institution and ideas, but I do offer once in a while some antidotes to that, so people I can be criticized for them. But uh, so we can recreate the the dominance that we have in the past. We have the right kind of people. We have the universities. We have uh, the technology. We have available land. We have all of the resources we need to rebuild except the leadership, the people who look ahead long-term for where we're going like the Japanese did when they looked at the American automobile industry back in the 50s and 60s. They said, we're going to take over that. And by 1974, they had already taken it over, the radio, the lawnmowers, and everything like that. But we got to stop thinking in terms that we live only 80 or 90 years but we got to think in terms of long-range history uh, and projections so that we can create something that we won't necessarily benefit by, but our kids will. So that's uh, the, I've offered an antidote. I've offered a criticism and an antidote. <laughs> well, let's, 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 let's keep on going um one of two consultants being sued in federal court for its role in the flint water crisis says it's committed to bringing <coughs> former governor rick snyder to the stand as it rolls out its case to the jury mike brown a spokesman for veolia north america made the comment in a statement to m live the flint journal criticizing attorneys for four Flint children who are suing the company for failing to call Snyder as a witness before resting their case. Veolia and Lockwood, Andrews and Newman, another Flint water uh, consultant, have been sued in the case by the children who claim the companies were negligent in their work in Flint and are partially responsible for injuries they suffered after drinking tap water with elevated levels of lead. Um, can Mike Brown and Veolia compel testimony from former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder? Remember, public safety and public health is the most important issue out there. And the government must provide that. And however, whatever it takes to do that, if they can make the case, 
they can. Well, he's already facing he's already facing criminal charges. I was say he, he can take the but, fifth. I would think, but, but that doesn't mean that he he will be charged. He will be found guilty. And I don't think that uh, I, I think that guilt is closer to home because the people here in this town is responsible for our health, wealth, and welfare. Um, do you, don't you have to concern, I guess he's concerned, uh, I guess he could plead the fifth that would protect him from giving information that could be used against him in the criminal case, right. but I thought I read that um, they were going to get the judge to rule on whether they could bring in as evidence that his, um, his previous deposition that was used in another case. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, but now. So, but he he wouldn't have to testify, but they could use what he had already testified to. Yeah. And and what this, uh, what these, um, what Veolia is hoping to do is um, compel Rick Snyder to actually come into court and testify. Right. They probably want to ask questions that weren't already asked, maybe. I would think. Well, on a related note, Ice Mountain will continue sending 54 tons of bottled water per week to Flint through the end of this year. City and corporate officials for Blue Triton Brands, Inc. announced Monday. The water distributed through Flint's nonprofit relief centers will be supplied from the Ice Mountain bottling facility at Stanwood, and Mayor Sheldon Neely said it's still needed despite improvements in Flint's water quality. Neely has uh, promoted the city's work at rebuilding its water infrastructure and the quality of its water in an effort to regain public confidence. Flint's water has uh, met state and federal standards for lead since July of 2016. He called Ice Mountain support our bridge to safe drinking water. Is the end of this calendar year the finish line for the Flint water crisis? We hope so. (laughs) (laughs) We can only, with the declining resources that the state has, we can only get worse. We got I think it's pretty optimistic to think it would be over. I think the trust of the people is, as we've discussed before, is one of the biggest issues. Yeah, yeah but, that's uh, going to take a long time. I mean, the kind of that is abstract. Okay, the trust is going to take a lot longer. But the, guys, those are abstract, theoretical, and theoretical issues, and um, and there's no solution for that. You can't make people trust the system. The only thing you got working for you is the system. And uh, we have to somehow, if we're surviving all right, there's the data out there. It doesn't matter data that shows that we're not getting any worse. A death rate does not increase because of that. And uh, so and you have to put together the right kind of evidence there to convince people if you can. Otherwise, you got to move on because uh, that's what we do. We change every day and we move on. Unfortunately, in all organizations, you know, whether it's, whether it's government, whether it's corporations, whether it's uh, uh, elections, whether it's uh, 
the, the, the pandemic and the medical institutions. I mean, they've trusted in so many things. They've been under yes. attack for, for, for years. Yeah, I was thinking of the first quote that I brought out with E.B. White about democracy, uh, meaning that 50% right. or more than 50% of the people are right more than 50% of the time. Are they right to, to not trust? I don't know. Well, this is what Trump is uh, tooting. Don't trust. But, you know, yeah, but he, he has no solution. All he has is fear. Yeah. yeah. Oh. He's got to be better than that. One of my biggest criticisms of Michael Moore is he points out problems, but he doesn't come up with solutions. Yeah. I don't think that Donald Trump is anyone to follow because he comes with problems, and his solutions, if he has any at all, don't work. Some of the you problems like, are made up. <laughs> you like the idea of him uh, identifying a problem, problem but uh, coming up with an antidote. A solution. A solution. Sorry. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer's office responded Saturday to news reports that she was among officials whose names appeared on a hit list belonging to a man who police say shot and killed a former Wisconsin Circuit Judge Friday. The suspect was found dead at the scene. Authorities said the list was found in the suspect's vehicle and included Whitmer along with Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers, U.S. Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. While the news reports are deeply troubling, we will not comment further on an ongoing criminal investigation. Governor Whitmer has demonstrated repeatedly that she is tough and she will not be bullied or intimidated from doing her job and working across the aisle to get things done for the people of Michigan, according to Whitmer's Deputy Chief of Staff, Zach Pohl. Um, do you think there are potential there are other potential assassins carrying that same list? Well, that would indicate that he was part of the group. Yeah. But have we ever had any other governor facing so many personal threats as we've had this Governor Whitmer? I mean, there's been some some really serious attempts here, and I cannot recall any other governor, at least in, in my memory and historically, that has faced so many personal threats as, as this governor has. But we have to look at it from a bigger picture. If you are in a position of authority, you're always threatened by people that live, your neighbors, by people that don't look like you, that people with more money or less money or with less education, you're always a threat and, and to be uh, killed. And so uh, it's unfortunate that Gretchen Whitmer got this one from a group of criminals uh, uh, parading as authorities of the Constitution and stuff like that. That's what makes it dangerous. But isn't that, isn't that the definition of terrorism? When you have a movement that places people in fear for their lives, if they do something or say something or act in any way, we have domestic terrorists in this country right now that I don't think we had before. And I think and I that this is evidence of domestic terrorism. And, there's, and I think all of us who sit on this panel uh, face the same thing. There's, there's, another, there's, there's another aspect of this that I thought very interesting. The list, as it was revealed, showed both Republicans and Democrats. 
Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's I think right. I was going after uh, Mitch yeah. McConnell. And, and that's uh, how it should be. Well, there's a, there's a general feeling out there that I pick up on that is so anti-government, which has been growing since Reagan's um, administration, that that when I read that a candidate who is running for Congress says she wants to take the, the government back and give it to the people, my first response is, what people? And how are you going to choose those people? Because we already have the government in charge. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the second half right after this. 